This is Leadership in Action, and I'm Casey Cheshire. Join me as we delve deep into the passions, expertise, and experiences of Boston area innovators. Sponsored by the Boston chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization, this is Leadership in Action. There it is. I just had to hit the right button. And here we are. Here we are. Man, I am so excited to introduce you to today's guest. She is a branding expert, a powerhouse of brand. And as a lot of us in the marketing world know and business world, brand is everything. So we're going to pick her brain today. I'm excited about that. She is also a business leader, an entrepreneur, an innovator, a scholar, the president of Visible Logic, and the founder of Branding Compass, Emily Brackett. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Katie. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk to you and, and learn from you here today. So tell me, what is a common misconception about leadership or being an entrepreneur, or running a business that you just want to smash today? Sure. Yeah. Well, as you know, I run a branding firm. So I hate the idea that people think a branding firm from the outside is just going to come in and create a brand for you if you don't have the leadership in place to be driving the entire company. It's just unrealistic for someone on the outside to do that for you. And it's great to um, work with experts to guide you, but to just abdicate that way and think, um, you know, they're, they're going to do it all for you. It's just not realistic. And the, the reality is that it's the companies with strong leaders that usually develop really great brands because they're so connected. Wow. Strong leaders creating strong brands. Uh, there's so, why, why do we think this? How, how have we gotten so s separated? Like we can think we can just buy a brand in the store. Yeah. Well, I think some of it comes down to fear of creative endeavors, right? Like so many people associate a brand with developing a logo and it all goes back to like, they had some bad experience in like art class and Right. Not creative, right? So many people, especially in the business world, especially, right? Like, oh, oh, those are creative things. I'm not a creative person. And yeah, you know, I'm definitely one of those people who believes everybody is creative, first of all. And even if you aren't going to, you know, we should all play to our strengths. So even if you're not going to design your own logo, you certainly have that capability of thinking about the the concepts that go into your brand and really, you know, taking the lead on it for sure, just like you would with every other part of your business. Right. And so for the fellow CEOs out there listening and entrepreneurs, and they're all getting wrapped around the axle about brand, uh, we've all been, we've all been hurt in art class. Something happened in art class. And, and so now we're afraid of what color blue is that? Is it a, is that a ocean blue or is that a navy blue? Can, can you can you help give us some therapy that it's gonna be okay going through a creative process? Yeah, yeah. So it is gonna be okay. I mean, it is probably worthwhile to invest and work with a firm who's gonna guide you. Right? They're not gonna just say, just listen to us and do this. Or on the other hand, like having no reason themselves. There are designers out there who have no reasons, right? They just select something because they like it. And then they ask the CEO, do you like it? And it's all just so subjective. But if you have a process that you're following, it should be a really 
um, thoughtful process that you feel comfortable about the decisions you're making. You should be saying, hey, these are your, t- this is what we're targeting here. And these are benchmarks and how we would measure success on this project, just like anything else. So, uh, you know, a good branding partner will help you do that for sure. hundred percent. And I heard you say in there, and I feel like I've seen this happen too, where the branding firm are these crazy artists and they come up with something that they like. You said it's, they like it and the CEO's like, yeah, I love that. And it says nothing about what the brand is or it, it actually doesn't make any sense whatsoever to your customer, but the two people in the room liked it. And so yeah. that's where we're going with. It sounds like that is a recipe for disaster. Is that true? Absolutely, Casey. Yeah, not a good process to follow. You know, every once in a while, just because just I'm statistic, the odds that it will work out okay. But for the most part, you it's not likely to be a good decision. And like you said, it should be, hey, we've looked at our customer base and this is what's going to be appealing to them. Or we've looked at our differentiators in the marketplace and we're talking about our, you know, messaging that really, and you know, talks about that, enhances that and makes that more clear to people. So yeah, just, it, it should really be based on, you know, ideal customer traits of your product or service and connecting those two. And uh, those are usually things that people feel pretty comfortable about as a business leader, right? Like I can definitely talk about the marketplace. I could talk about getting new customers. I can talk about developing my product or service. And then it's just, you need to translate that into like, okay, what does that mean into other ways of expressing it verbally or visually? Now, I got to have to imagine that most people listening already have a brand. Maybe they didn't put a single thought into it and they just, their great aunt did some clip art and now they have it. So it's almost like no one has nothing to start with. What do you recommend there? They, and they, you know, I think we all, we all, you're listening to this and I can relate. You look at your brand, you're like, yeah, I could do better. It, to how, how much of an impact does it really have? And then I'd love to get into the how. Sure. Um, well, it absolutely has an impact, right? Like there's, there's definitely research that suggests that having like a strong professional brand can, you can, allows you to charge higher prices and attract better clients clients and attract better employees. So it absolutely, you know, it goes down to the bottom line. And I think a lot of business owners think of examples like Coca-Cola that has, you know, millions or billions in brand equity and probably not realistic, right? Like if you're a member of EO, you're not quite in that league, but it's still probably absolutely affecting, um, you know, somebody's first impression of your organization. And that could be a, you know, a potential client. It could be a potential employee or a potential partner or investor, all those things to some degree. Even for people who don't like to admit it, it's probably making an impact. Absolutely. I've seen, I've seen, you're right. Even if it's a big company or small company, there's a, there's a value to it. It goes into even the valuation equations later on when you try to exit your company it is a thing and you know you neglect it to your own peril uh so talk to me about the how you know what you i'm so already sold on you bringing the firm to help guide you but the good kind like the sherpa kind they're not going to carry you up the mountain but they're going to walk with you up there and help you not fall in a crevasse talk to me about your idea process like how do you how do you 
start from zero, what kind of steps are the key steps you take? Yeah, I think about three main steps there. So the first one is clarifying your vision for the business. Now, some people, we go in to work with them and that is really clear, but sometimes it isn't. Um, Sometimes, you know, so even spending time on core values and missions and vision, um, those can be really helpful. Again, those are things that might feel unusual to bring a brand expert in on, and they may not be the only one. Obviously, that should be driving it. But that number one step is that needs to be clear, like your vision for the company. So that's step one. Step two, then, though, is what does that mean for your customers? Turning it more customer centric, because I have been places, um, for example, I was at the local credit union and, you know, they had their core values on there. And it's like, you know, we want to be like the financial leader in the community. I'm like, well, what does that need? Right? Yeah. Like, I, I, what does that mean? So you do need to take those. That should be your core value, absolutely. And it guides the team and it guides decisions. But then the second step, though, is like, what does it mean for, you know, customers? And then the third is, you know, how can you make this visible? And that's really often where, you know, the branding person is like, okay, now you have this, let's make it more visible. And you'll notice I didn't say visual, I said visible. So, you know, people think about the visuals, but it can be just making it visible in a more clear way um, through all your interactions or whatever. Interesting. So it's not just that, the design, but it's also how do you make, how do you make this vision and what it means for your customers more visible? Yeah. Interesting. So it's like exactly. how you treat them and how you, all that? Acts, definitely. How you treat them or um, how the words you use on your marketing, your website, your social media, um, how you, definitely still how you treat internally, you know, your employees. Um, it be, but again, it's like making that visible. So that's where people do get really stuck on the visuals of a logo or photography style or whatever, but it could be visible. We've all seen that where you walk into a business and it's clear the way the employees are talking to a customer or even like a manager is talking to an employee. Like that's a very visible, you know, brand touch point that people are making, uh, you know, some sort of decision about how you do business based on it. So, um, and it can also be, you know, vans and trucks and uniforms and signs and menus, all those very visible things that are not necessarily your logo. You know, Chick-fil-A comes to mind with, uh, you know, I think we're all aware of the, you know, and if you're not, you need to get some Chick-fil-A like this instant, you know, this podcast is now sponsored by Chick-fil-A. Yeah. Uh, in Maine, I think like this weekend. Right? Send the check to EO Boston, Chick-fil-A. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. But you know, they, they, you know, when you say thank you, they say my pleasure. But I also, you mentioned uniforms and that, that came to mind too. I remember standing waiting for my free refill, which is also a way of making this sort of, you actually matter visible to me, yeah. but yeah, I'm looking at their uniforms and yeah, they always look so sharp. They've got these pants. They seem fitted. They don't seem like bring random pants to work Friday. It seems like there's some kind of thought process to it. And they're always tucked in. Shirts are tucked in with belts or whatever. And they just look so 
professional and it just, and then you want to treat them better than the, than sort of the sloppy fast food employee didn't care about your burger, still doesn't care about you, barely put on a polo shirt with the logo on it and they don't give a crap, you know, like, wow, such a subtle difference in the visibility and they didn't have to, you know, have the colors change at all. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes it's like, you know, you mentioned that, that a lot of people have a brand that they, they already have something there. So how do you refine that or extend it? Um, those are often things that think people can do. Like maybe they're using blue, but not always the same blue. It's like, okay, let's really choose a blue and use that all the time. And then think about, you know, like you said, like, how can we imbue this different place of that totally makes sense. But how do you choose a blue? Let's make it red. I'm trying to choose a, a red for one of my new companies. How do I choose a red? And now I do, I do note, I don't want to oversimplify the process. There's two important clarifying the vision and what it means to your customer before we get to this. So if you want to say, go back to step one and two, yeah. I will allow it. But how, how do you choose a red? Yeah. Okay. So Two, two, two phase answer there. Yeah. First of all, the first one is, you know, what is your vision and what does it mean to the customer? So with the example of red, um, some reds are really connected with um, love and romance and passion, right? And some are um, very connected to healthcare, actually, like Band-Aids, red, um, Red Cross is red. So you do need to understand the, like, what comes to mind for people. So, and also, like, this is sort of assuming you're in the U.S., if you have an international business, that layers on a whole other piece of it. But so, let's say you want to be caring, okay? Let's just say that's a treat. Well, does that mean caring in a sort of medical, medicinal way, or does it mean caring as in like passion and love? Because you might, um, you might choose a slightly different red or probably, you know, the way you use the red might be different. Like you don't see, um, like Band-Aid, Johnson and Johnson. Uh, it's not like big, bold fields of red, right? That feels really bold. And you're, you're also kind of making this connotation with Band-Aid, like that the red means blood. <laughs> but you don't want like big fields of it. It's more like we've contained the blood. Whereas with passion and love, it might be, yeah, this is big and bold. And so not only red, but lots of red, big fields of red. Love that. I mean, I'd love to be able to pick your brain for this because I think this this illustrates just some of the immense wisdom and magic you've acquired over time to even think about something as simple as like a red. And then are you, are you leaning toward passion? Or are you leaning toward, you know, is it a pool of blood on your website? <laughs> yeah. Wow. So telling. Yeah. So it's, there's all these little details, right? It's the shade of red. It's the amount of red. It's the shape of the red. They're all intertwined for sure. It's also, you know, is it red with dark gray? And that feels kind of conservative, like a maroon with a dark gray, suddenly it's like really classic and conservative, whereas it's bright red with bright yellow. Oh my gosh, we're at McDonald's now, right? So um, we've gone from the law firm to McDonald's just by just adjusting like the palette of colors around the key color. That's a really good point. Even the supporting colors can 
can reflect on that. Yeah, I think I was going, I'm going for that passionate, um, almost like a, the color of a curtain on a stage. Oh, yeah, right. You know? um, There's a yeah. lot of, and yeah, the red curtain is a really good one that people, um, people connect with like it's a well-known icon I guess you'd say I don't know you know it's like this symbol that people recognize so yeah absolutely it seems like theatrical and uh a lot of theater has a lot of passion to it for sure gotcha yeah Yeah. so very interesting so I learned that today because it you don't think about all these things sometimes and um and what's interesting too is if you haven't to your original point if you haven't done step one and two you're really shooting in the dark because you're like, I don't know, I like that red, but no, it's like, take a step back, take two steps back. What did we say was the vision for the company? Mm-hmm. Okay, now we're really clear. What does that mean for the customer? And then it's like, okay, this is how we serve them. This is who we want to be. Because how many times do you find companies just don't even know who they are and they try to have a brand tell them? That's exactly, you know, that's really what I was sort of saying at the beginning is that if you don't have a vision for your brand, then you are just hoping, you know, an external expert can help you. And I'm not that there, don't get me wrong. Like when Unilever decides to introduce a new product, I don't feel like it's the same thing, right? Because they are, you know, they're, they're developing products. And, you know, some businesses get to that point, but when you're talking more of a small business, it's very likely that like the CEO is very connected to, you know, all parts of the business. And so, um, they, they need to set the course, not just, oh, I've identified this market that is, that is absolutely part of it. And that can be part of that step too. Like, what does this mean to the customer is like, I have a vision for my company, but I know that this vision means I'm going to introduce three new products over the next 18 months. And this one's going to serve this client. This one's going to serve this client. This one's going to serve this client base. So then again, that's where, so the, that needs to connect between your whole vision for the company. And then like that market of certain ideal customers for that product, and then building a brand that is resonating to that particular product but i hopefully it still has this same thread back to the original business how often do you well i think we asked this but are you then are you able to help coach them through step one and two and is it kind of like a trick you think you're signing up for step three but really just need to help clear Right. Sometimes that's often like, Lee, why is branding so expensive? Oh, well, because you think you're starting at step three and I think we're starting at step one. So, um, yeah, that's definitely a problem if we have those mismatched perceptions there. So, but yeah, we can, we do help people with step one, but sometimes, um, depending on who they are and what their business is, they they might do better with, you know, getting some clarity before they work with us. So what's your best advice on step one on clarifying the vision? I like to start with using words because words are generally what most people are comfortable, right? Kind of back to that same idea. People don't feel comfortable with visuals. So most business leaders are you know, competent writers, either excellent writers or competent for sure. So start brainstorming with words about like the values you have, 
the key traits, the differentiators, and then do a little like brainstorming. Well, what if those words remind me of? What are, you know, some even like everyday objects that share those same words? Um, you know, it's funny, like you'll see an ad, a brand where somebody might use like an Adirondack chair, right? They don't sell Adirondack chairs, but what does that bring to mind? Oh, that brings the idea of like out, out sort of outdoors, a little bit rustic. Usually, you know, there's, you don't think it's like in the, a rural setting. Um, so those are things that come to mind with Adirondack chairs, even though you could say be a financial planner who serves people who like those, you know, have vacation homes in those areas or something like that. So start thinking about the connections you want to make and just use words first because those are, and you'll start seeing themes that you maybe keep writing down the same word in like different formats. It's like, okay, that's probably a good one. And maybe even go to the thesaurus then. What are some other words that relate to that word and which ones resonate with me? So definitely words first because that's what people can usually communicate best with. Words first. And then what I got from that also is not trying to filter yourself because you mentioned Adirondack chair and then a whole vision floods in there of, well, it's a certain angle. You're, you're leaning back in a certain way. You're comfortable. It's just wood, but it's way more comfortable than a bench in the park. And it, what does all that mean? I, and so I can see how just don't even try to filter, throw those words out there. If circus peanuts come to mind, by golly, put that down on paper. Yeah. Like there may be something to that. Um, yeah. And then you work with someone like yourself to sort of, okay, I'm seeing some trends here and drawing some lines and then really having an encouraging person with you to say, no, 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 this is, this is actually good. There's something yeah. forming here out of the, right. out of the dust. Yeah. Right. I mean, some of the most memorable brands, right? Like Google, right. They didn't just go like search engine.com, right. They should something that suggested the idea of like, whoa, a gazillion answers for you here. So yeah. Yeah. yeah now we all know the name. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Question kind of in a, a sort of a step aside, uh, you know, you running businesses and you, you're doing things. Uh, Oftentimes there is that bit of a cliche where it's like lonely at the top or at least isolating. You know, what kind of resources or communities do you, um, do you participate in or reach out to, to stay connected to fellow entrepreneurs? Sure. Well, definitely, EO. I am a fairly new member in the accelerator program. And one of the reasons I joined was because I exactly, I wanted exactly that, um, Especially with COVID, I have previously been really well connected to the startup scene. Um, I'm in Portland, Maine, but I went down to Boston a lot and I, you know, I felt really connected to that. But with COVID, where we all just fleed inside, we need to be more intentional, I think, about finding time to connect with others. And for me, it was, I need to talk to other business owners, right? Like you're like, you can only talk to your friends or whatever about like, you like, uh, I need to talk about employees or profits and stuff like that. And so absolutely finding a way to connect with other business owners, like on a regular structured basis. That's what I've loved about being part of, um, EO so far. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's how, I mean, that's how we've met. And, and yeah, it, EO has been that way for me as well. Just something. And it's funny, sometimes it's not even the business advice or anything. It's just like, have you seen this too? And you're like, yeah, 
we're, we've all seen this. And then he realized like seven other people come over and they're like, oh, what are you talking about? Oh, yeah. No, yeah. Yeah, we've all seen yeah. that. Yeah. that I was at, you know, we were talking about going on vacation, how we need to go on vacation. Like that's something all Americans should do more of, right? But it's different when you're the business owner versus the employee. It's absolutely different. So we're like, just start that conversation with like, okay, you know what we're talking about here, right? We're yeah. talking about when you leave and you're in charge business. So, yeah. Yeah. Oftentimes there's usually some ancient salty EO member who has like figured their stuff out and they're, they're like, oh yeah, I take, you know, three months off. And you're like, how did you not just do that, but like, how did you get there? Like I'm at zero right now. I'm at negative zero. I've been, I'm at negative 50. I've been doing extra days, you know? So how are you doing that? And then they're sharing their experiences, which has been just so powerful. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Having find people that are willing to share is so important. Yeah. Tell me what, what's exciting you about the future? What kind of trends do you see coming down the line, either on the macro or the, or the micro? Yeah, what's around the corner we should be on on the lookout for? Yeah, well, um, we're hearing everywhere about the great resignation. And I think that's going to really put some stress on business leaders. Um, You know, first of all, the first way we think about that is the leader who's stuck with not enough employees, right? To they've got they've still got a vision for their business. They've got goals, but people are leaving. So I think that could mean, gosh, I really need to reconnect with my employees, see what they're doing. I mean, that's what I'm finding. We, you know, with, with everybody going remote, um, we've just slowly been adding more and more ways to reconnect. Like where we went to a daily huddle and now we're going to like these weekly check-ins, like one-on-one check-ins. We've always had a team meeting and I'm like, we need more of this because if somebody is drifting off, you probably be better to know that ahead of time. And so, you know, I had actually hadn't heard of this. So is, is, is there's a name for it? Just that, a lot of employees just resigning and going elsewhere. Resignation. So people, I just read this morning in the New York Times, there are more people resigning without a job than like in decades. Yeah. Without, like they don't even have the next place they go to. They don't have the next place, but they feel it's a strong economy. So there's, you know, everybody's looking. So they, they're in the driver's seat in terms of, you know, they've got the power and they've just gone through like this huge life-changing pandemic. And there's something's probably, you know, they're questioning something, whether it could be the commute or their line of work, if they're not passionate about it. I mean, it could be anything. But, um, yeah. Wow. I I can see, you know, leaving and going somewhere else because I mean, we all, we've all had this sort of weird experience of just being bottled up and at home or wherever for, for work. But the idea of leaving without the next place, that's fascinating. I think some of these people should go back in time and visit us when we were trying to get jobs in the 90s or something and oh i know right exactly it will bounce back it will definitely will um and you know i mean i think on the other hand if you're a great leader you're going to there are people who are ready to jump ship and stuff like that um you know i know we're we are hiring for a new position and i mean i hear people saying that they have no candidates i'm like we've got candidates we get strong candidates so i'm feeling like 
you know, and they're both and they're they're the ones saying the story. I want to leave. So I'm looking for something new. Wow. So, yeah. Powerful stuff. I'm curious now, just who are you? I, I feel like I've known you from EO and I, I'm amazed at your brand powers. Uh, but like, take me back in time, like little Emily days. Did you always <laughs> know you're going to be running companies and a, a boss of all things brand? Like, take me back in time. Yeah, absolutely not. Um, so I, I grew up and I was always very good at school, sort of, you know, obedient, um, did my work, always did my best. That was just, I guess that's still my personality. So at the school I was at, like somebody who was that type of student who's excelling, you didn't go to art school. That, that wasn't like art school was where for the kids who are struggling with academics. So even though I loved art and I, you know, I was like, well, that's not what somebody like me would do. So I got a liberal arts degree. And um, again, like I didn't even know what I was doing, but I just did. I put my notice down and I did a great job and I graduated like with honors four years later. I'm still like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just like, doing it. Probably other people would have dropped out, but it's just not who I'm like. So I, so I had a liberal arts degree and then I ended up working at a book publisher and that's where I really learned what graphic designers were. And I was like, especially, yeah, growing up in the eighties, graphic design was so like nobody heard of it or understood it. I mean, it's not well understood now, but it's much, much, much more better understood. So I met some graphic designers and hired graphic designers at the, you know, the book publisher. And I was like, I'd be good at this. So I just took like a couple of classes and then I ended up getting a second degree in uh, graphic design. And it's been such a perfect fit. It's like, I mean, I went back to school at MassArt and I loved it. And I mean, it's just great. It's a perfect fit for me. So amazing to think you, you kind of just went into the program of what was ever expected of you. Yeah. At what point did you sort of make that jump to go and you're like, but I, I want to do this. It, maybe it makes no sense, but it feels right. Like, do you remember, um, was there a moment or was it kind of a slow shift in, in that direction? Well, I thought that I realized that I had only said no to design art school or design school because honestly, I didn't, like, I kind of looked down on it. You know, that's the honest, brutal truth. And when I said, well, you know what? It shouldn't, who cares? If it's what fits me, then that works. And the reality is finding something that's such a good fit, then you're going to be successful at it. So I think, you, you know, there's, there's areas to be successful anywhere in the economy. So um, once that was a good fit for me, then it was, you know, I just, I excelled there as well, but like just totally at a different level, like just being immersed in it and coming out absolutely confident that, yeah, someone's going to hire me. Like I, I, this just totally resonates with me. So, yeah. Wow. It's so powerful to, to get into that. Like I, I, I can relate where you're not in that track and you're just kind of finding yourself as soon as it clicks, you're like, oh yeah, this, yeah. Oh yeah. This is me. Help. If you don't know, this is what I do. And you know, like watch out. So I can imagine you just really just hit that. And did, did you, at what point were you going to decide to become an entrepreneur and start a company and do your own work like that? Uh, that's a fun story, Casey. You got all day. Oh, I, um, 
you know, so I graduated from design school and I went to work at a big uh, design studio in Chicago. And then I went, I had, you know, a um, couple different jobs after that, all in design studios. And um, I'd gotten laid off at two of the three studios in over about like five years. And I thought, oh, that's not what I expected from this field. <laughs> I didn't realize it was so unstable, which it really is. Like the creative fields are very much like, you know, agencies tend to like they get a, you know, a good new client or contract. They hire up, they lose the contract, they let people go. So that happened to me and I was just really down on everything having to do with design. And um, th this was the summer of 2001. So the internet bubble was bursting. There was no way, like I was like, there, nobody's hiring graphic designers. Like maybe I'll do something else. Like, you know, everything. Like I'll be a physical therapist. I'll be everything. I just, you know, considered all sorts of things. And luckily my husband was like, you know what, we're fine. Just, you can just take the summer off and just think about this. So um, I actually got related to triathlons and I decided to do my first half Ironman and I just sunk into training. And I remember being out on this like forever long run and I said, yeah, I am going to do it. I'm going to open my own design firm. Like I thought it would be further in the future when I had more experience, but I'm, I'm definitely going to do it. Like this is it. So I like finished, I remember crossing the finish line. I'm like, yes, I need to start my own business. There was a Saturday, Sunday, I went to a barbecue. I announced to all my friends, I'm starting a new business. Monday, September 10th, I started my own business. The second day was 9-11. Jeez. Oh, yeah. So you did start it on September 10th. I did. Yep. Wow. Wow, but so you're in the middle of that run, and and by the way, I I've only done sprints, uh huh, and, and that that shit gets long. Like, it does, yeah. I have, I have much respect. My hats off to you. So yeah, you were in the middle of what, like a thirteen or a yes, yeah. It was a thirteen mile run, thirteen very hilly. So yeah, after doing a mile or two. Yeah, I think this swim was, you know, 1.2 and then the bike is around 50 miles. So Yeah. Now you're doing yeah. out for a nice little 13-mile run. And then, you know, delirium is setting in and you're right. like, which we can all relate to, somehow a moment of craziness. And we thought, yeah, I'm going to do this. But kudos to you for like, as soon as you made up your mind, you're like, no, I'm, it's on. Like you, literally days. And you told people too, which is yeah. really powerful. Exactly. I, I did feel like, well, if I can make it through this race, I can do anything, right? So, and definitely announce things to the world and make it clear and get support. And yeah, I always recommend that. Man, that's so powerful. Yeah, getting the support, making the decision, just going for it. So did 9-11 set you back or just was sort of this weird time to be starting something new? Yeah, I mean, realistically, it didn't set me back because I didn't have anything. It's not like I went in with any clients like most people would in my life you know it's pretty common somebody doing like freelance graphic design on the side but I really I mean I had a couple little things I've done but really I was at zero so I just was still at zero so it's just a very strange time to start a business for sure um but it all worked out yeah wow wow so I have a hypothetical question for you yeah. so you're in Maine let's say you come visit in New Hampshire, I've got a time machine, or I may or may not have a time machine. 
It's in the backyard. So we'll get some lobster, you know, we'll talk triathlons. Then you get the chance to use the time machine. Go back in time. It's very special though. You get to go meet yourself um, a few days after graduating. And let's say after graduating with the design, with the art mm-hmm. uh, degree, um, if you can talk to that version of you, what kind of advice would you give her? I think I would say that not to wait for some external like blessing before going on my own. Like, I think I, I did feel like I was waiting for some, I got to do this many years of work for someone else or this certain accomplishment was going to tee me up to be ready to be an entrepreneur. But, you know, if you wait for that moment, you might never do it, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's funny how we we kind of are waiting for those kind of signs or like these big ones. And maybe it's just a little one or maybe it's just us deciding to do, not waiting for, I mean, could, because when is that award ever going to be big enough or when is that accomplished ever, ever going to be the right one? It may not. Yeah. Don't wait for external validation for, you know, going for it. Obviously, you should get some external validation on, you know, like bringing things to market, et cetera. But. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. But, but not, not on the spark to start the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. That's in you. Yeah. 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 Uh, totally agree. Um, man, crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. Are you doing try still? Not really. I work. Yeah. It's a lot of work. I built up, I did do an Ironman in, um, I did Ironman Lake Placid in 05. And then I've done, like I did a half, then we moved to Maine and I did a half in 06. And then, you know, had my first kid in 07. And I think I squeezed in a sprint in 08. And then, you know, the kids and it's, it's tough. I did it. I did a sprint in 2019 and it was fun. Um, but yeah. Sprints seem fun, right? No, because it, it's like, now once I did a sprint, I, I could never do a 5k again. Uh-huh. And it's like, really? You're just going to go run five kilometers? Right. How about we get a little swim in? Then we do a little bike. And then we do a 5K and that's a real 5K, you know? Right. Exactly. Yeah. I still love to swim and I still do all three of them. So I absolutely, you know, I do, I love to exercise. I love to work out. I love to be outside. So I like all those things. I just don't feel like I have to compete right now. No, I totally get that. Do you do the open water swims up in Maine or? I've been swimming in the ocean uh, really until um, I did it last week. So my goal is to keep going. Um, but I haven't, you know, I was thinking today there are some swims. Um, there's like a big peaks to Portland race. I've done the one in Gloucester mass. Um, there's a clean Harbor swim there. I've done that before. So, um, but I just like swimming and I don't need to do a race. True. True. Yeah. Do it for yourself kind of thing. Yeah. Now a question of the day is in what kind of watch are you using to track all of this? Well, that is a good question. I am a fanatic about that, but I got a Garmin. But I didn't realize, honestly, until this summer, I replaced it. It's maybe, I don't know, I got it last winter. And I didn't realize until this summer that it doesn't track open water. Oh, which one? Because mine does. Yeah, I know. Apparently, some do. That's terrible. That's, that's a big part of your ingredients. So the, par- like, the hack is that you put it in your swim cap and put it on bike. And then it will GPS you. But you can't see it during it. But if you just want to know, like, how far you swim at the end, that's the hack. Yeah. So. Don't take that off mid-swim or you're going exactly. diving for that really yeah. expensive watch. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. So what do you have now? 
Have you upgraded? No, because I just found this out this summer. Oh, this summer. Okay. So I haven't bothered. Again, I'm trying not to, I'm trying to be very zen about it. Like I'm just going to swim and, uh, and be outside and enjoy the water and nature. So. And not try to get data on every single thing you do. <laughs> right. Exactly. Triathletes are like obsessive about the data. And, uh-uh. you know, th- there's a lot of value in that. Don't get me wrong, but I don't need that right now. I totally. Mental health. So no training peaks, right? No. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I did swim this morning in the pool and I tracked my laps and everything. And I like mastered that on this watch. So. Yeah, You know, it's amazing when they keep track for you because, man, I've tried to do it without a watch. And you're like, God, what is this like 13 or 40? Oh, geez. And then you feel like you've lost count. And you're like, oh, absolutely. Where am I? I know. Especially if you get then, right? So I think the watch helps me not have to worry about that, at least in, in a pool, because yeah. I know it's tracking them and I can just let my mind wander, but not too far. So I got to turn around in about five seconds, you know. Five seconds. Sure, Casey. Sure. <laughs> well, that, not, not why well, after a minute, you know, <laughs> I just know I'm like, uh, I can't let my mind go too far because then it's like, whoop, whoop, there's a wall. Wall's not going to move for you. Yeah, definitely. So, crazy. Well, this has been awesome. Where can people, if they want to reach out and connect with you, where do you want them to reach out? What kind of social platforms, websites, or anything? Oh, so my core branding firm is Visible Logic, visiblelogic.com. And I don't even know if I mentioned it here, but I've developed a piece of software that is focused on micro business owners called Branding Compass. And Branding Compass is a web based uh, application software and it helps uh, small business owners discover the best visuals and words for their branding and marketing. So it's really reasonable. Yeah, it takes. Anywhere from like, you know, five minutes of the starter package to a couple hours of the comprehensive package and it's $99 to less than $500 and you get fonts and colors and messaging and an ideal client profile and a unique value proposition and um, all this, all these expert recommendations given to you automatically. So that's Branding Compass. Wow. Um, I'm busy on LinkedIn, Emily Brackett and... um, Facebook to some degree. Yeah. Amazing. And what we'll do is we'll link to all of these things in the show notes. Yeah, for those listening, they can just click right on through. We love that. Man, this branding compass is intriguing. It looks, it looks great. And man, that's affordable. So, it, so you should good for micro businesses, or maybe that EO business that, you know, or maybe they need the full on consulting with you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's geared towards, you know, more simple businesses. So certainly you can reach, you know, you can reach a million dollars and still have a fairly simple business. Um, and it can serve you well. Branding Compass can. So, yeah. And, you know, this might be, uh, this might be the sign that people were waiting for where, you know, they're getting their shoulders shook and it's like, your brand is terrible. Please go clean that thing up, you know, dirty yeah. mouth, clean it up orbits. Let's go. Time for a brand. Uh, Emily, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for teaching me and sharing with everyone here all about brand. Uh, It's been amazing. Great. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. And this has been fantastic. So for those people listening, if you learn something, share this episode with someone else. And until next time, we will see you all later. This has been Leadership in Action. 
Leadership in Action is sponsored by the Boston chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization. As the world's only peer-to-peer network exclusively for entrepreneurs, EO helps transform the lives of those who transform the world.